Please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we will be looking at verses 1 through 15 of God's holy inspired word. This is a portion of God's word, well, rather a portion of Ecclesiastes that we are sometimes familiar with uh, through the various things that Solomon says here. We have... An emphasis here on time. Uh, we hear this read perhaps at um, various events and sometimes at funerals, sometimes at other things. We hear it even in lyrics of songs, you know, the, the, the bird's song, you know, turn, turn, turn. Uh, taken from Ecclesiastes 3. There is, there is much to look at here besides just what is, is there in the, verse, the first eight verses. It really gives to us the human experience. It presents for us the human experience. What is life like? And we have really a commentary on those first eight verses in the verses that follow to get, help us to give an even greater perspective of what's going on within these first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. You know, the Bible as we understand and we've said a number of times, is, is the living word of God. It speaks to us in our struggles. It speaks to us in our pains. It really brings to light many of the questions that we desire to ask, that we find ourselves asking at times, and then we come to God's word, and someone within God's word has asked this question. And that's what we're looking at tonight in Ecclesiastes 3. Really looking at the questions of life according to a human viewpoint of the human experience of life. Our lives have ups and they have downs. No matter how much we strive to have a life of peace or a life without struggle or any of this, we have no control over it. As much as man wants to have control over his life and over the things that go on in his life, we really have to come to that conclusion that we have control really over nothing. The ups and the downs, they come. The pain, it comes. Man desires to have, to have his life in the palm of his hand, but it doesn't work out that way. You'll perhaps be familiar with this, this poem from William Ernest Henley. And the writer here says, he said, One wonders whether William Ernest Henley felt just as dumb on his deathbed or any other moment after he wrote his pompous and preposterous poem, Invictus. Here's how it begins. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And then the poem ends with some of the words that we would be familiar with, perhaps. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's why the writer is saying, one wonders how dumb he felt on his deathbed, knowing that 
This was nothing more than an illusion. He is not the master of his fate. He's not the captain of his soul, though man desires to be. And we often have those kind of frustrations in life. We, we have our plan. We have the things that we want to do. We, we want to make certain that this doesn't happen or this doesn't happen. And we don't find ourselves in certain circumstances. And those very things sometimes come to pass. How did we miss it? How did we get here? What was the purpose of it all? And we have those frustrations. And Solomon is really writing to our frustrations. What is the purpose of any of these things? How can we control life? And Solomon's conclusion is, you can't. There is no controlling life. We cannot change what is, and we cannot change what will be. Is there a plan? And even natural man asks these questions. Is there a plan? Is there something more? Am I, am I part of the plan? You know, it's so interesting what, what people in, 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 uh, in, in show business, for example, even, even those that uh, some of the famous ones are the questions that they ask. For example, Alistair Begg had referenced this, uh, this play, uh, The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. It's a one-woman play featuring Lily Tomlin. And she should be familiar to us. But here's what he says about this play. A play, incidentally, which should be avoided at all cost, he says. <laughs> in her opening monologue is Trudy, the bag lady. She expresses all of the things she worries about. And it builds and builds and builds until she finally says, in the pathos and strangeness of, of it is, is that you've got this lady who essentially just out there in the middle of it all, and she looks up and she says, I wonder about my place in the vast scheme of things. And then she says, I wonder if there is a vast scheme of things. Even natural man asks these questions, and they wonder and they have frustrations because their plans aren't going right. Well, what are we to make of that? What are we to make of the repetitiveness of life and the non-control that we have over things? What are we to understand from that? And that's where Solomon speaks to his readers. He gives the answer. That we may look upon life instead of seeing the frustrations in the things that we cannot control. He says, don't look here, look up. Look to the Lord. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So if you would, uh, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And we're going to read verses 1 to 15 of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word. Chapter 3, verse 1. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under, the, under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, 
and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time in a time for peace. What profit is there to this to the worker from that in which he tolls? I have seen the tasks which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take, take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is, has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Let's pray together. Father, we, we ask once more that the Spirit of God would do a mighty work within our hearts. To change our hearts, to conform our hearts. To allow us to look upon you in all your majesty and glory. To be satisfied in you, to be content in you, to appreciate all that you are and all that you do for us. Thank you for the life that you give to each one of us. Thank you for the things that you allow us to have in life and the things that you call us to. Father, may we indeed see our fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight as we work our way through this passage. May you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> These first eight verses are verses that are familiar to us. We've heard it. They're often quoted, whether in song, as we talked about, they're quoted in movies. You know, when you get to a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance, automatically you think footloose. Comes right to your mind because it was quoted in the movie. This is often, again, some of the portion of God's word that is read at, at uh, various events, whether funerals or others. This is a poem. It's a Hebrew poem. Remember, we are in the wisdom literature, but this is also the poetical books. We have Solomon that pins this perfect poem. There are 28 phrases here. There are 14 pairs. One theologian pointed out that the number seven is coming up here, being the perfect number, being 28, being divisible by seven, as well as 14, of course, that this is the perfect poem. And it gives the experience of human life from beginning to end. It begins with birth, it ends with death, and everything in between. These, these activities that are in this poem, some of them are in reference to work or to toil. 
And that's why you have the question in verse 9 that will come about the work and the toil. This is, this is really a, this back and forth kind of an effect of human activity is what Solomon is, is, is giving to us here to attempt to illustrate the entirety of one's life. That this season comes and then this season comes. This season comes and then this season comes. And that is, that is the human life. There's so many things that he says here. And again, it, it is to give uh, an entirety of, of really a summary of, of one's life. A time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to plant, a time to uproot, all of this. It's every season of life that just, it comes and goes, and it comes and it goes. What is all this about? And you think that looking at this from a human perspective, because God is not mentioned at all within these first eight verses. This is from a human perspective here. This is focused directly at mankind. This is not only true of believers of what this is saying here, but this is true of, true of all. You have every season that comes in life, and the question really comes back to, how can we control any of this? And the answer is, you don't. Every season comes at its appointed time, and that appointed time is not determined by man. And that's the frustrating part, and especially apart from God. Because you think to yourself, again, Natural man trying to get through this life and trying to make a name for himself or trying to have peace in this life or whatever it is that he's after. And no matter what he does, no matter every precaution that he takes, he always ends up having to endure the struggles and the pains of life and all the frustrations that come. He's the master of no one's fate including his own. He's not the captain of his soul, no matter how much he desires to be. And that's the, that's the point. That's the point of the poem. There's a time for everything, every season, and it comes and it goes. And it comes and it goes without your will, without your power. We can't control this. None of it. No matter, the, no matter what steps that we take, it's always the same old thing. A lot of this has to do with work and with toil and all of that. I mean, think about what he's saying here. Every season comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. The entirety of the human experience, it comes and it goes. You think about, uh, again, the, the emptiness of life apart from the Lord and the repetitiveness of it all. You get up in the morning and you go to work. And you go to work because you got bills. You got a family. You need to put food on the table. So you have to work to eat. And then you eat so that you can get up the next morning and go to work. And it just around and around and around it goes. What's the point of it all? What does any of that matter? In the grand scheme of, of, of everything, I mean, and, and just as Lily Tomlin has said, I mean, is there a, a great scheme? I mean, that's what, that's the question. And that's where Solomon is speaking directly to 
the experience of mankind. There's a time for everything. An appointed time, he says, for everything. There is an appointed time for every event under heaven. Time to give birth and a time to die. These, especially if you're looking at it, obviously, one cannot control. You can't determine when you're going to be born. You can't determine when you're going to die. And then everything in between. And that's where the frustrations come about. Because even it seems as if even the unbeliever, as you see the repetitiveness of life and you think, surely there is something more than this. Life has to be more than what I'm understanding it to be. And I think that will definitely go into what he will say to us next, that, that God has set eternity in their heart. There is something more. But in these first eight verses, his emphasis, what is it? That everything has its foreordained time. God determines when it happens, how long whatever the event is, how long it lasts. One person says this, Since everything has its time, depending not on human influence, but on the determination of God, Notice that there is no mention of God here. This is focused upon men only, the human experience. Everything's foreordained by God from the human point of view. We can't see it. We don't understand it. And the frustration begins thereafter. But the answer to all these questions about not being able to, to control what comes and what goes, the seasons of your life you can't control. But then he goes on to really give us the answers to this whole dilemma here, all the frustration here. And again, you know, as, as we've been working through Ecclesiastes thus far, there is so much in here that you just, you kind of step back and you think, man, that is just, ugh. And you feel the the... The emptiness of, of hearing a, a perspective of what life is at times. But that's what Solomon is doing. He is allowing us to feel that enormous weight, that emptiness of it all, before he then gives us the very one who satisfies. And this is very important even for believers because... If we don't have the right perspective of things and we don't have the right perspective of life and we don't have the right perspective of the Lord and his power and his majesty and all of those things, even as believers, we can find ourselves feeling the frustrations of verses 1 through 8. Because we have a plan and our plan is to do this, not even regarding what the Lord's plan is for our life. And when it doesn't happen, we have the frustration, we have the anger and the resentment or whatever else that, that comes to our hearts. To hinder us in our walk with Christ. And it is frustrating. It can be. When a loved one passes, when you don't get the promotion at work, when you lose your job, things aren't going well in the family. 
having friction with, with your significant other. There's friction within your friends. It can be frustrating, and we even find ourselves asking that question, what is the point of it all? And that's where Solomon goes. That's the question that he wants to present so that he can give the answer. And the question is, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? What does it matter? What's the purpose? But he goes on to tell us, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He's seen it. He sees what God is doing. He asks that, what is the purpose of it all? But he sees, he says, the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. Everything that comes within life and all the seasons of life that men are occupied with. But then we have, out of the frustrations of it, out of Solomon asking the question that we want to ask. We often want to ask this question, and that's where God's word speaks to us. And, and, and you have someone in the scripture already who already who, who says exactly what's on our mind. What profit is there? I go to work. I got to eat. But then I got to eat to go back to work. Every day is the same. There's nothing different. There's so many things maybe that I want to do with my life, but I keep finding myself doing the same stuff every single day, and nothing is satisfying. I've seen the task which God has given to the sons of men to occupy themselves. But here's what he says then. He says, he, meaning the Lord, has made everything appropriate in its time. He's also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Now there's a lot there, but just to begin with, he has made everything appropriate in its time. And that's where we miss the, having the right perspective of things. We only see things from our vantage point, from our position. We don't see things or try to see things from, the, from the, the point of view of God. Doug Wilson, using the, the analogy of the tapestry, the tapestry. See, look at that. I said something wrong and then I corrected it. See that? That's right. God sees the tapestry, uh, using that analogy. Doug Wilson says, from the vantage underneath, little, little is visible but snarls and knots. But above, the beautiful pattern of the work on the loam can be seen. As Solomon has shown, we live our lives under the loom. Oh, see, I said that wrong again. But above, the beautiful pattern of the work on the loom can be seen. As Solomon has shown, we live our lives under the loom, and everything we see is vanity. So how can we see the pattern above? The only possible answer is through faith in a sovereign God. 
That's, that's what Solomon is getting at. You look at the beauty of a tapestry and you see the finished product, but from the back side, it looks like a knotted up mess. And that's often the way that we're viewing things. And that's where Solomon is giving us that comfort and that encouragement to the heart that it is God who has made everything appropriate in its time. God. He has also said eternity in their heart. Again, to ask and to wonder if there's something more. If there's something more that this world can give, is there some sense of eternity that they have on their minds and on their hearts? And it doesn't take long to look at, uh, to read books or to watch various films and all of that to see what is on the mind of unregenerate man. That there is that sense in which they long for something more. And not only is Solomon telling us that, that he has said eternity in the heart, but this also corresponds to what we understand from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. How is it that they can long for something more when it seems as if they don't believe in anything? And that's where the Apostle Paul comes in. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Some of the very sim similar language there that Paul's using is what Solomon is telling us too. He has said eternity in their heart, but he has said it in such a way that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. We want to know the plan of God. We want to know the experiences in our lives have purpose and they have meaning. We want to see how it all fits together. We desire that. Natural man desires that because they have the same frustrations, except for natural man, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, even though they have eternity set in their hearts to long for something more, they do not acknowledge God as God. But they become futile in their speculations. They profess to be wise, but they've really become fools. But for those that are in Christ, those who, who understand through the Scripture how the reality of things truly are. We understand where that longing is. That God has set eternity in our hearts and God is the one who satisfies. God is the one who, who fulfills everything that we need. Because Solomon keeps going to that. Showing you the emptiness of a life apart from him. And the complete fulfillment of a life with him. And Solomon takes many pains to do that. He's going to continue to do that. That's not to say again that we don't have the, the same questions at times and the, and the frustrations. And, and sometimes, again, we want to know how things are working together. We don't understand why this happened in life. We don't understand why this was our lot and that wasn't. Why did this happen, Lord? And sometimes we have to remind ourselves what our Lord had said to the disciples when he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
Or you can go to Deuteronomy that the secret things belong to God. We long to know the answer, but sometimes we don't have the answer. And we're not going to be given the answer. So how then can we reconcile that within our hearts? We're frustrated because we want to know and we can't know because these things are only within the mind of God. So how then can we be satisfied? How can we be fulfilled? It's because you're trusting in the sovereign God. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. You know what Solomon is telling us to rejoice in here? He says that God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has set eternity in their heart. And then he says, I know that there's nothing better than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. What's he telling you to rejoice in? He's telling you to rejoice in the fact of knowing the sovereign God who is in control over it all and who does know it all. And who has planned everything from beginning to end. Who knows every detail of your life between your birth and your death. Everything that will ever happen to you and the purpose in which he has placed it in your life. We don't know, but he does. And that's why Solomon is saying this. I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. And the good that he's talking about is moral, ethical good. I know that this, he says, it is a gift of God. It is a gift of God to go through life and to rejoice in the, in the, in the, the work of your labors, even though apart from God, you wonder why you're doing what you're doing. But then when you understand and you come into the presence of a sovereign, holy God who is orchestrating it all, it gives purpose and it gives meaning and it gives everything that you desire to be found in him. And so... There's, there's, there's reason to rejoice and there's reason to be happy and there's, there's reason to do good because it is good in the sight of God. That's why we do good. There is purpose here and there is meaning in it all. And that's why we don't, we don't become sorrow, sorrowful and we don't despair. We don't despair as the unbelieving do with, with their lot in life or, or how their life is going and how empty that it is because we have a sovereign God who has come down from heaven, been incarnate, has brought us to the Father through his life and through his death. There's fulfillment. There is peace. There's your joy. God, I don't know this, but I know you do. I don't know why this has happened in my life. I don't know why this person had to die so young. I don't know why this person had to depart at this particular age of my life. But Lord, I know you do. And so knowing the, the, the sovereign power of God and his decreed will will come to pass and all of that, that gives comfort and that gives confidence. I see all the nonsense that's going on within the, the nation and within the world itself. But I can look at it and, and not be indifferent to it. But I can say, I know that God has purpose in all this. And so I'm not going to be in despair over whatever is happening. Because I know 
that he's declared the end from the beginning and his counsel will stand. And so I'm going to rejoice in what God has given. Whatever that he has given to you in your life. And if you wonder sometimes, well, what is it that I have in my life? What can I rejoice in? Do you rejoice in first off that you know the living God? The one who upholds the universe by his sovereign will. Who indwells you who are in Christ. Who has given you the greatest demonstration of his love through Christ on the cross. That in itself, that is reason to have joy in your life. You know without question that you are loved by the mighty, almighty, sovereign king. He loves you and he proved it through Christ Jesus. Do you rejoice in the fact of not only knowing him, but to understand what he desires of you? I mean, if you think about all the pagan religions in, in the past, I mean, there's always a guessing. Somebody has to come up with something to say, well, this God requires this, and this God requires this. With God, you don't have to do that. And that's why when, when Moses is speaking to the Jews in Deuteronomy 4, that's why he's saying to them, you know, the nations are going to say, what God is there? Like the God of Israel, a God who is so near and what other nation has as righteous laws as these? Why? Because God had truly revealed himself to his people and given his law to them that they would understand what he desires of them. How they may please him and show their love back to him and their adoration back to him. And that's why when, for, for those who are in Christ and we rejoice in the Lord and we're so grateful in all that the Lord has done in the sense we, we have the privilege of knowing Him and of serving Him and of doing good. And how do we know what is good? Well, you look to the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say? How does the Word of God tell us to, to pattern our lives? What, we have the law of God. It's not a guess. You don't have to guess. What God desires of you, it's in his word. And that in itself is another conversation. Because often when you say that, and you say things like that, that we know what is pleasing in the sight of God because God has given us his law. Law. We're not under law. We're under grace. Well, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the very things that we affirm within the Christian faith that we have one king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is sitting on his cosmic throne and he is ruling and reigning. We acknowledge that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus said that over and over again. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at you, in you. He's established the kingdom. And we pray, Lord your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we not think that there is then a law that the people of God should abide by within the kingdom? 
Is it a free-for-all? Do we think to ourselves, I wonder how the Spirit of God is going to lead me today. Should I do this or should I do that? First off, to think that the Spirit of God is going to tell you to do something contrary to what he has written beforehand, that's, uh, that's a little far-fetched. It's very far-fetched. We have the law of God to guide us. When you think about the law of God, like Martin Luther, Martin Luther had said this. He had said that, speaking of the, the law of God, he said that it, it, it's like a rod that the Lord uses to beat me to Christ. And then the Lord, Lord gives it to me as a staff to walk me through life. We don't have to guess. And so when he, Solomon is expressing to us to do good, how do we know what is good? We look to the law, which is the expression of the holiness of God. And we say, that's what's pleasing in the sight of God. We look to the moral law, the Ten Commandments, for example. When you look at the judicial law, all that is is ex expressions of the moral law itself. There's some good things to look there and to, to take a principle from. But when you're talking about the law of God, we're talking about the moral law of God. That is our guide to walk us through life. To do good. And you know what is good because this is what God has said. And it is consistent with his holy and righteous nature. That's why when things come up like abortion, we have a basis to say, that's evil. That's why when it comes to any of the, the LGBT stuff, we say, mm-mm, that's evil. Well, what are we basing that on? We're basing it on the law of God. Because that's the standard. So we know what to do. We know what is good. Now listen to this. In light of that, he's telling, he's telling us to rejoice. This is a gift of God to have this kind of understanding of things. To eat and drink, to, to enjoy life because you enjoy the one who gave you life. And then he, then he adds this, which, which I really appreciate so much. And I pray you will too. He says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Now notice what he's saying here. I know that everything God does will remain forever. Everything God does will remain forever. Then he adds this. You can't add to what God has said. What God has decreed. You can't take away from what God has decreed. And that in itself is what also gives us a joy within this life and an even greater confidence within God. Because when you look at the things that go on in this life and the things that are going on now. And you wonder to yourself, is, is this going to hinder the people of God? Is this going to hinder the church in America? Well, within the church of America, it may. Who knows? But does it hinder any of God's decreed will? And the answer to that is absolutely not. There is nothing that will ever go on within the kingdom of man that will ever have any effect on the kingdom of God, as MacArthur says. And he's right. You can't add to anything 
of the Lord's, and you can't take away from it. So when you see all the things that go on in life and you think, this is so frustrating. You know, you want to see the church flourish and you want to see people be converted. And, you, and these, are, these are good things. These are good things. And you think, well, if these people over here would just knock this off and just stop this and just think of how much better things would be. And sometimes that could be true. And other times I think maybe that if things were as good as what we would think to ourselves that it should be, that perhaps that would make us a little bit at ease in Zion. Everything God does will remain. Everything God does is, is eternal. There is nothing temporary of what God does. There is, there is eternal purpose in everything. And so that in itself, when you're looking at your own life and you think everything that he does will remain, that includes everything that happens in your life. There is eternal purpose there. There's meaning to it. And then on a grander scale... Perhaps as Solomon is looking at his life and looking at the, the lives of the people in Israel. Maybe the frustrations that have come in his life, especially as he gets to the end of it. To say what he does, you can't, you can't add to it and there's, there's nothing to be taken from it. That gives great comfort to know that. For a sovereign God cannot be thwarted by mere creatures. When the nations rage and the peoples devise a vain thing, the Lord laughs at them. According to Psalm 2, He laughs at them. Because who are they compared to Him? So have confidence in Him. Know that everything that he is doing is decreed by his sovereign will. For God is so worked that men should fear him. As Solomon adds there. God has worked in the lives of his people that we should fear him. And again, when you're talking about the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, everything that Solomon has been saying thus far, giving us that reality check of what life is all about, which is all about him. And so understanding that, then we, we fear him in the sense that he's the one who controls it all, how big of a God he truly is, and yet we are drawn to him to rejoice before him and to do good. So when the, the frustrations of life come, and even in the time of your own pain and your own struggles, there is reason to look up and to say, even in the moments that you don't feel like being joyful, there is still that, that reality of life to look up and say, Oh Lord, this is by your sovereign hand. This isn't a random chance that just happened to me. This is... This is what you have, you have decreed. And, oh, Lord, give me what is necessary that I may endure it. And I may look to you. And I may be confident that though the pain is here, I can rest in your sovereignty to know that this was your plan. Think of this. If you have someone in your life that has died, 
someone you love dearly, and then you don't have a big view of God, then what are you doing? Lord, this person has died. Why did they have to die? Why didn't you do something? Where were you? But for the one who has that confidence in the Lord to understand that he is the sovereign one, we say, oh, Lord, this is by your hand. I know. And so in that, I can at least rest in your sovereignty. There was no enemy of yours that was able to take my loved one or whatever the case is. This was appointed by you for a purpose. I don't know the purpose and I can't see it. But, oh, Lord, I know that you do. And so I'm going to have confidence in you. I'm going to trust you, Lord. Because you are the faithful one. So give me what I need that I may endure this season in my life. This season that I didn't appoint, but I know you did. Let me rejoice not in in the loss that I feel or in the pain that I feel, but let me rejoice in you. Let me rejoice in the outcome of this, that you may be glorified. I know that there is no enemy, Lord, that can ever thwart your will. Or to do, nothing will ever happen in life that isn't part of your will. And this gives me comfort. Does it give you comfort? Do you have comfort in that? Do you rejoice in the sovereignty of God? that's what Solomon is calling us to do. To rejoice in the sovereignty of God. That does give peace, dear friends. Because there is no, could it have been different? Could I have done this? If the Lord was just paying attention, maybe it would have been different. No. Our sovereign king is ruling and reigning. And even though he allows the pain to come in our lives and it's by his decreed will, he still provides everything that is necessary to get through it through the spirit of God whom you have in you. The fullness of God, of the Holy Spirit, indwells us. He comforts us. He comes alongside us. He lifts our eyes to view the one to whom we're running to and to long for him even more. The seasons of life come, dear friends. They'll come, they'll go. From our vantage point, we don't understand it. But don't look at what's happening. Don't look at your own circumstances. Don't look at yourself. Lift your eyes and see where your help comes from. Lift your eyes and see the one who is seated on his throne. And who looks at his children and he says, I will comfort you. Because I love you. It's all in my hands. Don't despair. And that's the fulfilled life that we can have in the Lord when we have our right thinking. And having the right perspective. And the Lord desires us to cast our care upon him. The Lord desires us to to pour out our hearts and our pains because it's then that truly the Spirit of God works mightily within our hearts. So don't look 
at your own self, look up and view the majesty of your God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for this portion of your word. And thank you for the great blessing that we have of being called by you, of being adopted into the family of God that we can that we can cast our care upon you and that we can know, we can rest in this. We know that whatever you bring in our lives through your power, through your guidance, that we can endure. And in that we can rest and in that we can be confident and in that we can be comforted. Thank you, Father, for your word which reveals your power and your glory and the love and the care that you have for your own. Father, we are all in different seasons of our lives, even now. We have various questions that come to our hearts and to our minds, and we ask, as Solomon does, what is the meaning of it all? What is the purpose here? And we understand that the secret things belong to you, and we may never know. But, Father, help us to, help us to have confidence Father, that everything is coming to pass as you have decided, as you have decreed. Give us grace to endure. And we know, Father, that indeed you will provide all things for us. Let our hearts be comforted in these truths. Thank you so much for your continued presence with us, your continued love the riches of your grace being lavished upon us through the Spirit of God. May we continually seek your face and continually seek to glorify you in all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Well, thank you for your attention and you are dismissed.